I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore And I won't be coming back here anymore I'm on a way, I'm on a mountain I'm on a roller coaster sailing across the sky And the only trouble is in wondering why Live from Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and in truth. I'm your host, Sean McCraney, and tonight we'll have our opening prayer by our brother, Carl Moore. Yeah, so um, actually before I pray, I just wanted to take uh, a minute, if I could, and just um, talk about, the, I guess, the current situation that we have here with Sean, and I just wanted to kind of... Um, just uh, make people aware of the situation that they're in, that we're all in, that we all um, have beliefs. We're, we all are in our own little uh, paradigm. We, we get our worldview from the culture around us. And um, considering, and, and Sean doesn't know what I'm going to say, and this is just something that's in, that's in my heart, is that um, uh, I've just been disheartened by the, the, the harsh criticism that Sean has gotten, his ministry has, has gotten. Um, because of his, um, his act of engagement in, in wanting to know the truth and getting down to the core of it, getting down to the heart of it. And um, I'm, I'm disheartened by, I guess, the, 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 the church leaders or those churches that, that criticize and they, and they always or they usually will um, revert to or they, they will look back to what is orthodox. And I just want everyone to know what orthodoxy is. And basically, orthodoxy is anything that the majority says it is. And orthodoxy can change. And, and the orthodoxy that we get today um, comes from early church fathers. And, and people need to realize that those early church fathers, those, those fathers were, were, from, were, were Greek. They are Roman. They're, they come from that place and they come from that worldview where that, there's, there's influence of, of Stoic thought, of Platonic thought, um, of um, Aristotle thought, but there, there's all this thinking that was involved with what they have done. So um, we all like to think that, that we have a common knowledge or that we um, are, are free to be free thinkers, but we only think within the, our own context. And people will revert back to the early church fathers because they were early in the church. Uh, but they don't understand that just because they were early in the church doesn't mean that what they say is 100% right or orthodox because again we have to we have to take into consideration where they come from and and their worldview and what they thought was normal and now um, we have we've been blessed to have information and we can look and we can see cultural insight we can have cultural insight into things and we can look back and, and we can step back if you will um, we're all we're on a box again but we can step back and we can look at those things and I think and I just want to um, thank God that that Sean and his ministry are alive and that they're doing this thing and that they um, th I think that they are they're they're doing this 
for you so that you can get some information and that you don't have to believe in something just because the thinking's been done. And in myself, coming from Mormonism, that's what we did. We believed because we were taught to believe and because the thinking was done. And a lot of people that are in churches around us believe because the thinking has been done. People go to colleges, people go to churches to be, to be pastors, but they believe things and they teach things because the thinking has been done. So I, that's just something I want to throw out, that out there. But God bless Sean, God bless the ministry, and all these people that, that support him and, and, and take all these things and, 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 and put them against the word and examine those things against the word. So I just want to say those things and I'll pray. Um, Father God, I just want to thank you for um, this ministry. I thank you for yourself coming and, and saving um, Sean and, and saving um, his family members and, and for the salvation of, of so many different Mormons that have come um, by way of you ultimately because you are sovereign. Um, but I just praise you that, that, that people here have had a hand in that, that, that his, his voice, um, if you will, comes through you, comes by them through you. And uh, God, I just thank you for salvation. And I just pray um, that um, what we hear tonight that we can, we can think about and that we can, again, just uh, examine those things against the word and that we realize that your word is the authority, that no man is the authority. But when, we'll let that word speak for itself and then we, we will get this information. So God, I just, again, thank you, praise you. And I, I say this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Derek, I'm going to talk to Carl for a sec. First of all, thanks. Yeah, really love it. Bless. Uh, Carl and I, I've known Carl for years. Uh, came out of Mormonism, right? Correct. Uh, tell me, uh, I, Kay Brown has written a book. Kay's involved in ministry to the LDS. This is Kay's son-in-law, uh, married to Adelaide, right? Yep, Adelaide. Adelaide. Uh, but tell me about the dancing that you do. All right, well... I just do Native American dancing. I do uh, a hoop dance in particular. That's, that's my thing. Um, and that's something that I used to do when I was LDS, and I did it, and, and I did that. And while I was doing that, I, I tried to keep people's testimony about the LDS church alive. I tried to give them reasons to believe why the LDS church was true, gave them kind of similarities between Mormonism and, and my culture, the Hopi culture. Okay. And I just looked at those things. and. I, and I, did, and I did that in an attempt to evangelize Mormonism. Oh, okay. Or to keep people in Mormonism. But now, I, I do it to glorify God. And, and before I was glorifying man, glorifying yeah. in church. But now I do it to glorify God and just to let people see um, that God is awesome. God has given, gifted us all with talents. Yeah. I mean, in the church, the, the, spirit, the spirit gives people talents. Some people are teachers. Yeah. Some people are administrators. You know, we have yeah. all these different things. and. I just want to be in that body, just using my talents and my gifts. So I've seen you perform, and it's, it's just amazing, your, your skill and how God has gifted you with that. How can other people in churches take advantage of that and have you come and do what you do? How can they get, um, you may not be prepared for this, but. No, I guess you can uh, email me, but just uh, what, so it's. Oh, go ahead. My email would be pro4unity at gmail.com. So it's P-R-O, the number four. Unity, U-N-I-T-Y, at uh, gmail.com. Or you can, I don't know, Facebook message me. It's Carl Moore, C-A-R-L-M-O-O-R-E. And you'll probably recognize me because I'll be looking like a native. Yeah, you have the <laughs> but, costume uh, and everything. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. So I would love to, to be uh, a blessing to, your, to anybody's ministries, youth ministries, outreaches. I've done it. Um, share my testimony or just um, do my dancing. And, and with my dancing, I like to talk about grace. Oh. And what, what 
that grace is involved in, in, in all aspects of any culture, really, if they just open their eyes and look. Fantastic. But, yeah. Really appreciate it, brother. Thanks for coming. Yeah, God bless. And God, God bless you guys. You. Thanks. All right, a couple of reminders. Uh, we have books, workbooks, original music, films, T-shirts, bumper stickers available at hotm.tv. You can also watch old episodes of the show at the same place. You can also go to campuschurch.tv and uh, you can watch our streaming live, verse by verse, teachings through the word, uh, or you can watch those recorded. Uh, we'd love to see you. Three other things about the ministry. Promote uh, Warren uh, Puckett's Breaking Bread, Bishop Earl, and his exmormonfiles.com. And then, of course, uh, we also, I've never done this on the show, but want to promote uh, AM820 airing Matt Slick and uh, Carm. Matt's been very nice to me, I learned recently. And I'm not doing this just because that. I just haven't thought of being nice back. And uh, uh, Matt and I differ greatly on theology. But uh, like Carl was saying, and by the way, I love Carl's email address uh, for unity. And uh, I just think that's beautiful. And, and I'm united with Matt as my brother even though I differ with him greatly on theology, but we want to support each other in whatever, however God has led us to try to uh, keep moving forward. Listen, uh, I want to spend 2017, and I've attempted this before and it wasn't very successful, but, I, but we want to try to do 2017 uh, for the first 30 weeks interviewing the best representatives we can get from Catholicism, or from the Methodist Church, or Presbyterian, Southern Baptist, Calvary Chapel, Salvation Army, Eastern Orthodox, on and on and on. We're going to kind of start putting announcements out there and uh, want to use, like, we're engaging more with people on the stage. Want to open the stage up, put some seats up here, and have a dialogue and ask every single guest from Oneness Pentecostal, Charismatics, I would love to get a Westboro Baptist here. I mean, I want to ask everybody the same 20 questions. And then also we'll, we'll talk, but I want to hear from every one of those people responses from the Lutherans and the Episcopalians and the Nazarenes, the answer to the same 20 questions. And then the rest of the year, the, the remaining uh, 22 weeks, I want to use those guests who came to sit on a panel and then have uh, shows, two hour shows for the last part of the year where we talk about eschatology, eschatological differences, uh, ontological differences relating to God, soteriological differences relating to salvation, and afterlife punishment notions. And uh, anybody, I mean, Calvinists, Arminiists, uh, anybody is welcome to come. I might even, because Muslims agree that Christ was a great prophet, might even have a Muslim on here to hear what they have to say about Christ Jesus. Uh, and, and that's what it's all centered on. And I hope we can use that year to bring together more unity, not disunity, not to make it a fight fest, but to try to reason with each other from the stage. If you know anybody who would make a good guest, try to get the news out there that we're looking to do a show where people will come. The best qualified for the respective church or uh, denomination and share on the show. I have a dear friend who came out of the LDS church, but not officially. Uh, he works for an LDS-owned company. His boss is a faithful Latter-day Saint, kind of a powerful man. And he recently took my friend to dinner. And uh, after a lot of chit-chat, 
he, he pleaded with my friend to come back, come back to the Mormon church. My friend is a, a full-blown Christian, but he hasn't taken his name off the rolls of the LDS church. I'll call this friend Bob, and Bob is a, is a sensitive man, and he's susceptible to manip emotional manipulations when they're presented to him. And this is the way God has made him. So anyway, he gently told his boss, you know, I love Jesus, isn't that enough? And uh, his boss asked him, you know, Bob, have you ever committed a sexual sin? And, and my friend Bob said, yeah, outside of marriage? And he said, yes. And he said, well, such a sin cannot be handled by just Jesus alone. You need to go and confess to your bishop, uh, who's rightfully your bishop, in order for forgiveness to really happen. Now that's troubling enough, but other churches believe in confessions. But what really troubled me is my friend, at least four times in relaying this story to me, said, but Sean, he was so kind and he was so sincere and he even shed tears. I mean, he wasn't mean, he was just so loving. And I kept trying to bring my friend Bob around us to tell me about what he talked about, not how he talked about it. But my friend kept talking about how this leader kept kindly, tearfully, uh, I guess I'm a bit jaded when it comes to delivery systems people use to try to convince others of things. Uh, I feel like the truth doesn't need, the truth is like the cake, and it's such good cake, it doesn't need the icing. It just doesn't. And delivery systems uh, are often icing that, that just aren't needed. On my Mormon mission, I had a zone leader. He was a great guy. I really got along with him well. And he was salt of the earth, friendly guy from Utah. But every time we would sit down with an investigator and he would start to teach, he would change from being this guy to suddenly he'd be going, like, Mrs. Jones, the Lord, even Jesus Christ loves you. And it was like a, a, a spirit overcame him and he became somebody different. Sometimes we can hear the sing-song lilt that will come out from people uh, when they will talk or preach. And, and other people, when they talk, they're, they're just themselves. They're just who they are. And, and it's interesting that when we're talking about God or something, people think that you have to change the way you speak. We just listened to uh, Carl. He just talked. You listen to me. You just talk. But you can hear it sometimes, these, these methodologies of presentation. And they're built on mono, um, manipulation. They're built on manipulation. Uh, it reminds me of my favorite lyrics to one, a song, and, and I've said them before. There's hope in their words and emotion in their eyes. It's so easy to be misled by their sad and gentle guys. And like fools, we trust their delivery, but it's all just drunk sincerity. And emotionalism, it's a tool that can be abused and offer works uh, in counterfeits. Now, contrast that experience that my friend had with an email I received the same day my friend told me the story. It's true. It's from a man named Stanley, and it, in, the, uh, in the topic, it was, help me. That's what it said. Listen to what he said. Now, and now I hope if Stan's listening, Stanley, that you take this as I say it, because this is how I read it, Stanley. But 
He doesn't put sentences well together very well. He's not a great communicator through the written word. But listen to what he says. Sean, I really need your help. My name is Stanley. I grew up in a Christian family, a Roman Catholic. I too believe God and everything, but I didn't understand Catholic doctrine and Bible. I'm reading it as he wrote it. Plus, I was 20, never go to church. People rude, judge me. I don't want to go to church, but I still believe God. I watch your show every night at YouTube. So now I'm married, have one kids. She's a Mormon and I was baptized to Mormon about six years ago. I was blinded by their testimony and they cry. Sean, I fall for their lies. After they baptized me, they asked me if I feel the Holy Spirit. I straight tell my bishop no. But the way he ignore me and pre but he ignore me, excuse me, by the way he ignore me and pretend everything is fine. LOL. Same when they gave blessings about bread and water. I told them I don't feel the Holy Spirit. I know, Sean, it's one great sin to lie to Holy Spirit. And I talked to my bishop and straight told him I don't believe anything about Mormon and he still want to teach me. He cry. Sean, I can never fall for it. How can I get out of Mormon? I am so blessed to be able to receive emails like this from guys like this. I mean, he is just right there. He is true. He's honest. And he's like, I see what they're doing. I can see right through it. He cry, but I don't feel no Holy Spirit. Stanley calls it as it is, no matter what. May we all take a lesson from this relentless type of honesty and pursuit of truth. And with that, how about a moment from the Word? And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. To those of you who watch campus, I'm sorry, a little bit of a reiteration. I'm doing more and more of that because I just can't help but be impressed with the things that Scripture points out. We're covering the book of Acts in our milk gatherings and are in chapter 10. In chapter 10 of Acts, Peter is called to bring the gospel to a non-Jew, all right? And uh, to preface the event and prepare Peter's mind and heart for the assignment, God gives Peter a vision. And let me ask you all a question. Did Peter have a Bible in his time? He did. In fact, if, you're, if we allow ourselves to sort of imagine it, and if they printed books together and bound the books together like we bind books in those days, Peter would have been hefting around a leather volume that contained all the Old Testament writings. He would have been carrying a Bible that carried all the books from Genesis to Malachi. That would have been Peter's Bible. Would he have carried a New Testament? No, because the New Testament wasn't written, all right? Now, frequently we say things like, we have to go by every word of Scripture. I agree with looking at Scripture and going by the words that it gives. We have come up with a phrase, sola scriptura. We have come up with the Word of God does not contradict itself. We've said a number of things that way. We also tell people that if they have a thought or insight that is contrary to what is written, then we can know 
that what they are believing is not in harmony with God's truth. And we have limited it to that. Now, I think that's a good rule of thumb. I really do. I've said that many times. I'm not so sure I understand that the same way now. I wonder if this was the stance in Peter's day and age. Did he have his Old Testament? And did the leaders of the church say, you have to fall in line with everything that is written, right? Jesus even said, for it is written, it is written. In his vision in Acts chapter 10, a sheet drops down from heaven and it's full of wild, creeping, forbidden by law animals, wild things, creeping things, it says. And a voice from heaven says to Peter, rise, kill and eat. That's what it says. That's what's interesting about this is in the book that Peter's carrying around, if he turned to the Leviticus and Deuteronomy chapter 11, he would read in writing, do not, I forbid you to eat these animals. All right. Who said that? God said it to him. So what was Peter supposed to do? He had always read that it was unlawful to eat unclean things, but now he had a command from heaven by God to eat them. How do we respond to this? How would Peter justify eating something, touching something that was utterly forbidden in his written word? First of all, Peter could and probably did say that he was unable to do it because he had never done it before. This is how he responded. Uh, no, I, I really don't want to do this. Is this acceptable in our day? And if Peter did go and eat, could he tell his other, could he tell his friends, I ate because God told me to eat? In other words, would that work in our day? Could we as Christians do something and, and another Christian could say, that's, that's in the word, that's against the word. And could we say, but that's how God led me. And would we step back and say, but it's wrong because the word says right here that you can't. Peter did that. Can we do that? Now, could we do something against scripture today and excuse it by saying, God told me to? Think about this. For instance, I'm going to give you the opposite side. The New Testament gives us all sorts of demands. In 1 Corinthians 11:6, it says, For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. That means if she doesn't cover her head, shave it. If, she, if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. That's what it says in the word. Can the spirit tell us? Well, I don't think that is necessarily applicable today. There are people who would say no. The, the, the uh, Amish and the Mennonites would say, you don't have the right to say that. Women need to have their head covered, period. So those who insist that this insight must be kept, they adhere to it. Those who say, I believe the Bible, but don't keep it. I don't know how you excuse it. Which is it? Now, what about what Jesus said about divorce? Matthew 5, 32, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, that's the only reason he gives the putting away of a wife, fornication, causes her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced commits adultery. That's what he said, period. There's no equivocation there. Some agree, some disagree. Some say in our day, the situation is different. 
My wife did not commit fornication, but she did murder my four children. I'm going to divorce her. But people who follow the word say, well, no, that's not. I mean, it literally gets down to that. What is written always and only? Or is, is, is that what we follow? What is written always and only? Or do we follow what is written in harmony with the Spirit? One more, Timothy 2. Paul says, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. It's in the word. What if the Spirit says, there's a woman who's a great teacher, have her teach. Isn't in Christ Jesus no male or female, bond or free, Greek or Jew? Which is it? How do you do it? Again, there are those who implement this teaching and believe they're more holy for it. I want to know, should Peter have listened to the word from heaven that told him to go against the word that was in his hand? Or should he have gone by the word in his hand and denied the word from heaven? And how does that apply to us today? I think Peter should have listened to the word from heaven, even though it went directly against the words in the book. And if I'm right, it's another blow to the reformational stance of sola scriptura. The scripture is clear, my friends, that followers of Jesus, listen closely, are follow him by the spirit. And we are led by laws written on our hearts. In Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10, it's clear that in the, in the last days, the end of the, the, in the second age, that God will write his laws upon our hearts and upon our minds. And no man will need to teach another man because all men will know me and that we will know him by uh, him writing upon our hearts and upon our minds. That, Paul goes on and says that, that um, believers and followers of Jesus are the written epistles. Paul says that we are the written epistles. He says not written with paper and ink. Okay, so if this is a case, we have a built-in reason to start Using the word as a map, uh, and it don't, I mean, I love it and I study it and I'm with it. I love it, but it's a map. And when we become, this is what it says, this is what must be done, we really uh, fail. Now, uh, something that I believe will help explain this position is in our latest book, and I'm not pandering to sell books, but I want as many people who will read this book to take it and read it. And it's called Knife to a Gunfight. Now, uh, I have said that this is perhaps the most important book we have written to date. Oh, you have a mic? Uh, how about the camera? Can it angle on you? Yeah, whatever they can angle on. And uh, we have enemies and detractors, of course, all around. But I wanted an unbiased, somebody who did not know me, to take this book and to critically read it and burn it, challenge it, throw it away, or praise it. And so we submitted it to Kirkus. Now, Kirkus is about a 100-year-old company out of New York. They provide unbiased critique of books. That's their job. And so we sent this to Kirkus. They do bestsellers, fiction, nonfiction, and they have qualified reviewers, PhDs, doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs, 
everybody out there who knows what they're talking about. They're all experts in those fields. And if you've written a book about that, they send it out to those guys and those guys review and they form a panel and then they come back with the review. Now, I've never read a review from a book before on the show. I'm not gonna read it, uh, but I'm gonna have my daughter read it. And this is what Kirkus came back to us and said about Knife to a Gunfight. Cassidy, you're on. Are we on? Can you hear me? Okay. Kirkus reviews Knife to a Gunfight by Sean McCraney. A debut book presents a provocative reconsideration of the New Testament and institutionalized religion. The Bible has always been the object of spirited debate, and those disputes have spawned nearly infinite sectarian divisions. Author and Minister McCraney offers a radical solution to ceaseless contention. Pare down the essential teachings of the New Testament to two simple truths, faith in Christ and the love of God and man. Whatever remains is reduced to ancillary status, inessential doctrine that can be embraced or denied within what the author calls subjective Christianity. This interpretive pruning is defensible, McCraney avers, because no fully objective, contemporarily relevant reading is possible. Each teaching in the Bible, while inspired by God, has to be understood in light of the limited historical and geographical horizon of its purveyors, addressed to specific groups for very particular reasons that may have little or nothing to do with modern circumstances. The consequence of this approach is that the Bible becomes less a catalog of laws than a general blueprint or a wonderful map, as he just said. Additionally, because institutional denominations are the result of dogmatic appropriations of biblical text, these should largely be surrendered in favor of what Protestants call the universal priesthood of all believers, which is, if there is a priesthood of all believers, let there be a priesthood of all believers, which means among believers, there is absolutely no hierarchy or order or special privileges. The emphasis on love itself cuts across all doctrinal chasms and liberates a purely spiritual church from bureaucratic restraints. McCraney's discussion is as wide ranging as it is unconventional. He discusses Roman Catholicism, Mormonism, and Protestantism in depth, and forwards a critique of atheistic hubris as well. There's also a novel reinterpretation of the Book of Revelation, which should surely interest evangelicals. The author's scholarship is thorough and painstaking, but delightfully light on academic digressions, making this a very accessible work. Additionally, the entire study is infused with a spirit of open-minded skepticism and refreshingly encourages readers to draw their own judgments. For either the theological novice or expert, this work remains an incisive invitation to rethink the significance of religious traditions and hierarchies. Knife to a Gunfight, a welcome and fresh contribution to biblical studies. Thanks, Cass, for reading that. Knife to a Gunfight, we hope that you will get this book and read it. Now listen, as with all of our books, 
If you can't afford it, tell us and we'll send it to you for free. If you have friends and family that you think will benefit by this, who love the Lord, they're seekers, but they can't seem to uh, get around to what it's about, write us, tell us, we'll send them this uh, postage included for free. Now, uh, yeah, it, 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 well, I won't say anything. If you can afford it, buy it. But if you can't, get the book. Read the book and challenge yourself because I think that, you know, material religion, the way we're headed in the faith is going to die. And I think that this is a reasonable um, approach to keep, I don't think Christianity will ever die, but to keep the faith brimming with life. I think hierarchies in religion need to be absolute and total servants, not to be served at all. And when they are being served, when they're held up at all, when they're used as intermediaries between God and man, when they are, when they demand payment and support, demand it through tithes, when they demand conformity to rules and laws, when they start throwing stuff in, I believe that will lead to our demise not to our proliferation. I care so much about believers having a, a body of uh, where we can gather with like-mindedness that that's why we spend so much time fighting against these things. And it all came from coming out of the Mormon church and walking into and seeing things and saying, this will not keep us alive and keep us growing in Christ. Okay, you know, I have a whole thing about, uh, to continue on with our discussion about creation and, uh, but uh, I guess what I've done is prepared next week's show because uh, we're past the time. I didn't know this was gonna take that long, but I thought that Kirkus Review was worthwhile sharing. And you can go to Kirkus online, uh, Kirkus Reviews, look up uh, uh, Knife to a Gunfight and you'll see the same thing there. Uh, let's take uh, a moment, we'll take a spot. We'll come back to Rob in Springfield, Missouri, and then Aaron in Carmichael, California, and an off-air question from Matt M. Let's go to Rob in Springfield, Missouri. Rob, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm calling from Springfield, Missouri. I just wanted to say I appreciate what you do. Thanks, Mike. I was a former Latter-day, well, yeah, I'm a former Latter-day Saint like you, and I served a two-year honorable mission, was in the church for 25 years. And um, I wanted to bring out just an anecdote that happened to me in the NTC that I think is pertinent to many Latter-day Saints and your viewers as well. When I was there, they told me that if I did not have, this was from the voice of one of the 12 apostles visiting at the MTC, if I did not have a firm testimony 
that the church was truly the only true living church upon the face of the earth. He told us at a big conference that what we needed to do was to go around and bear our testimony as many times as we can to as many people as we can, and we will have it in the bearing of it. And I remember thinking at the time, because I already believed I had a testimony, those statements did not bother me, but as I matured beyond my mission and throughout my 20s as a member of the church and into my early 30s having various callings, I began to think, especially during the university year studying psychology, now that's a form of brainwashing plus bearing false witness. If you truly don't have a testimony at the time, to go about and to bear your testimony as he told us is actually bearing false witness. And uh, I wanted to bring that up. I don't know if you've heard general authorities or apostles say the same thing, but I have also seen it on conference talks on the YouTube that they post up there. And to just bear it anyways, and through the bearing of it, I think it was Russell and Nelson. I'm not quite sure who it was at the time. It was either him or Elton Perry. But it just stuck in my mind. Wow. I wanted to bring that forth. And I also wanted to share with you something that I wish that somebody would have said to me on my mission. And uh, nobody ever did. In the 25 years I was a member of the church, nobody ever said this. But just, just looking at Mormon doctrine, just the doctrine itself and nothing outside of it. In section 129 of the Doctrine and Covenant, it clearly says that when anybody ever has some sort of heavenly or spiritual apparition appear to them, a being that they think is an angel or God or anyone, we are supposed to ask to shake that one's hand. And it gives you, if you read those first nine verses of section 129, now Joseph Smith, I don't even want to debate about all of the, what Mormons call anti-Mormon stuff, let's just get rid of that for a minute, just a minute and lay it aside. Just looking at Mormon doctrine, he never asked to shake their hands, ever. And as such, he ne it never said in section 129, well, a good feeling will, will take the place of the handshake test. It never said that. Huh. It said you must because it says the devil can appear as a being of light. Hmm. And I noticed that during uh, when Angel Moroni appeared to him for three times on September 21st, which is a pagan Sabbath. It is the autumn equinox, one of the big pagan Sabbaths. From that moment on, the days get darker until it's a big pagan Sabbath. Now, when he says that the angel Moroni appeared to him, he also never shook his hand. So no matter what we say, by Joseph Smith's own doctrine and testimony, we do not know for sure, even if he had seen something, what he saw. And I just, I wish somebody would have told me that. Now, I know people in the church would say, but I have a good feeling about it. I got this great feeling. I, I've had this. But you know what? It never said that a good feeling would take the place of that handshake test. And I know that with the Peter, James, and John visiting him, too, that that was a vision type of a thing, not even a physical experience. And, uh, you know, but he never asked to shake their hands, especially with Moroni, even every time he returned to the Hill Camorra. So I just want to bring those up, because nobody ever told me that before. I've never heard a member say that, and the whole time I was a member, yet it's blatantly obvious even in their own doctrine. Really great insights, Rob. Really appreciate you sharing with our audience. I've never thought of the handshaking. Yes, 
Yeah, well, if we go back and read section 129, the first nine verses, it makes it quite clear that he could have been, even according to doctrines of the church, deceived. And you know, sometimes I think, if the man did see something, well, they say these are the last days, and many signs and wonders would come forth. And with all of the other doctrines that they present about becoming gods, there's, if you have a mind, I just want to tell you, the one-third, the one-third followed Lucifer in the war of heaven and wanted to be gods, even over the angels, it says. In Isaiah 14, 13, and in Revelation 12, they want to be the one-third, too, that want to be God, even above the angels, as is said in Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14. If you ask a Mormon, do you have it in your heart while you walk the earth to be a God, even over the very angels? Do you want to be the one-third over the two-thirds celestial and terrestrial degrees of glory? They will say yes. And wow. this is exactly what Lucifer wanted, and that's why they say one-third will be cast out. Great I, insights, I my brother. I feel about that. I, 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 hope I, I hope I didn't speak too much. No, I think your insights are great, and I think they uh, help people, who equip them for more dialogue with LDS who need to know the Lord. Thanks so much, my brother. Yeah. God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you, and thanks for all you do. Bye-bye. Thank you. Uh, so uh, his thing was uh, the handshaking. Joseph Smith never did it. That's Dr. Covets 129. And uh, fake it till you make it. Bear your testimony until uh, it becomes part of you, which is uh, a psychological approach to brainwashing. I think that's interesting. By the way, when we were kids, uh, LDS active as deacons, the, the doctrine was if you ask to shake their hands, real unresurrected saints will say no, for I don't have a body. But the devils will try to shake your hand and you won't feel it. And that's how you'll know it's a demon because it will agree to shake your hand, but you won't be able to feel it. They will be trying to deceive you and that way you'll be able to discern between a heavenly uh, being and a satanic being. Our question as deacons were always, well, what if the devil guys got one of those buzzer rings and put it on their hands and when you shook, they gave you one of those. <laughs> I'm serious. We used to ask that. All right, let's go to, oh wait, Matt M. <coughs> what does Sean think of some Christian religions not allowing priests to marry? Uh, should we evolve and allow them to be married? You know, um, a really open forum. I, I, I think people need to do what they want to do. I think it's led to a lot of problems. And uh, I think to, I think scripture clearly talks about uh, and not being good for men, not allowing other men to marry. Uh, so uh, I think it's led to problems, and uh, I think it's a man-made thing, and I think maybe someday it will change in the, uh, in the, uh, in the future. If this is from Carlos Say, if it's by the Spirit and the Word, how do we prevent feelings from coming into the situation? That's a great question. You know, we do have feelings. We are emotional beings. Uh, you just have to be able to have a balance between what the Word says, what the Spirit is telling you, and the, the Spirit is not a feeling that the world gives. The Spirit is different than the feeling that the world gives. I relate the Spirit, when I sense the Spirit, to seeing. I can't feel it, but it is a sense. I'm able to discern and observe. That's how I relate to it. Other people might relate differently. Let's go to Aaron in Carmichael, California. Aaron, you're on Heart of the Matter. <coughs> Hi, um, I just had a couple of questions because I actually asked, I've talked to a few LES missionaries. Yeah. I asked them a couple 
Interesting question. So I asked them, if God the Father had a body, flesh and bone in the premortal existence, why didn't why weren't we born with a flesh and bone in the premortal existence? And the second question I asked was, um, I'm losing my train of thought here. Hang on a sec. Um, I asked about like if the Bible is saying that there's no other gods formed before. Why? Oh no, no, that wasn't what it was. Because I, I asked them a lot of questions that don't have answers to. It was how which parts of the Bible are not inspired? Because they always say that they believe the Bible is far accurately translated, and they never and they got kind of flustered with those questions. Yeah, they didn't have an answer. But but have you ever received an answer or ever asked them those questions before? Uh, you know, I've never asked them uh, the qu- either of. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, the first one I've never asked. The second one I may have asked. Uh, uh, you know, and I don't know. I think they do say overshadowed by the Holy Spirit as well. Uh, you know, his body being a body of flesh and bone but it is a glorified body, so it doesn't have the same properties as a physical, earthly body. So, you know, I don't know. You know, this stuff is all uh, mixing man's philosophy with scripture and impossible for those poor missionaries to answer. But I'm glad you're asking them because it gets them to think. Yeah, yeah, because I, I called her 800. I do a simple missionary mission, which is just called her 800 number. And, and they seem pushed to say, I just want you to think about these things while you're on your mission. Wow. And luckily, this girl was reading Hebrews, so wow. we, had a, we had a good dialogue. So, hey, you're, you're planting seeds, my friend. Good yeah. job. Yeah, I, there's a lot of Mormons out here in California, and, uh, you know, keep, keep up the mission. Also, are you planning to do anything on uh, Jehovah's Witnesses? Because they're really hard to witness to for me, but I, yeah. like, I enjoy it. I, you know, I'm going to try to have a Jehovah's Witness on the show next year, uh, if, if possible. But I don't know enough about the Jehovah's Witness to properly try to address it. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for for answering those questions. De- definitely, if you can, please see ask them those questions. See what they got they got to say. That's for sure. Yeah. Hey, hold on. Uh, listen, we're getting a, a recommendation that you call uh, our number, and the number is. Oh, five nine zero eight four one three. When we're not on the air, and talk to Danny. Oh yeah, I know Danny Larson. I already talked to him a couple <laughs> times this last week. He sent me some resources. Oh good. Uh, Danny knows a lot about Jehovah's Witnesses, though. I do. I do know. I do know quite a bit about them. It's just really hard to talk to them about the Trinity, even though I can show it in the. Uh, in their Bible, there's what I call their silver sword, their, their New World Trainwreck version of the Bible. That's what I call it. But you can actually show the, the Trinity in there. It, it, is, it is great. I, I actually have talked to them a little bit about it already. Huh. Well, it's great to meet you, Aaron. Keep going, my brother. Yeah, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Have a good rest of your night. You too. Bye-bye. Listen, last week uh, we had, I read an, uh, an email or a text from Kay Brown, um, and she sent me the article that her words came from. It's by William Schnobelin. Uh, you are now on the cutting edge. It's from Cutting Edge Ministries. And it's titled Mitt Romney and the Mormon Plan for America. And it was in that article, this is from last week, where Schnobelin says, we will end with one final eerie note, which I now cannot prove, but I will share. When I was a Temple Mormon and doing Temple work in Washington, D.C., Temple in Silver Springs, Maryland, circa 18, 1983. I had a conversation with a fellow LDS priesthood holder. He was a member of the U.S. Treasury Department and a Secret Service agent. He was obviously very proud of the temple, which was indeed an awesome $20 million structure in 1970 dollars. 
a white glistening marble. He shared with me what very few knew on the fifth floor of the temple. I asked him what was up there because even worthy LDS temple uh, goers were not allowed on that floor. He told me that there was a council room up there with an exact replica of the Oval Office of the White House. He told me they even had all the radio and telemetry equipment in place hidden beneath a dome on top of the temple. He said that from this council room, the prophet could run the nation just as easily as he could from the White House itself. He also claimed that these electronic devices on the roof were so strong that airlines had to avoid flying over the temple or their instruments could be thrown off. Uh, I said last week, I wasn't sure where that information came from and, um, and Kay forwarded it. That's where the source came from. So it's not definitive. It, this writer says, Shobinlin, I can't prove it, but this is what I was told. And I said last week we would follow up with that. Really quickly, before we go to Mark in Alberta, Canada, and another fellow from Ireland uh, who's calling in again. Uh, this is from Joan. Love your show, Sean. Hoping you could address some ways Catholicism gets it right. For example, what are your views about purgatory? Also, how do you feel about Jesus literally consumed in the Eucharist? Both of those sacraments seem to be mentioned in the Bible. Appreciate your time. Well, Joan, again, I'm not, uh, I've heard many things about Catholicism in these areas, but I'm not, I'm not really uh, boned up on it. So I'm hoping next year when we get a Catholic priest here or somebody over the diocese, anybody who's high in the state of Utah, that we can discuss these things and hear what they actually have to say. And I'm hoping that we can do that uh, throughout the year. Let's, now he's in, uh, uh, oh, I'm being asked to ask, uh, before we get on the phone with our friend in Ireland, how's the Ireland medal count in the Olympics this year? <laughs> Please don't take it out on me. They made me say it. Okay, uh, also, this is from Dallas. I'd like to express my frustration that causes me great suffering ever since the word uh, I suffer chronic pain, Lyme disease, ex-Mormon depression, all the while trying to get a handle on God. I found your information helpful. I feel a bit abandoned by God and I wish I could clearly understand the word, but my mental state due to Lyme disease is debilitating, severely painful, and makes it difficult. I wish I could just roll over and die, but I don't think that's the answer. I've been deceived for 40 years and I'm not feeling I have a relationship with God anymore. I get angry when I consider all the Mormon deception that I openly embraced and feel spiritually violated. It bothers me even more when I consider all the others caught up in the deception of the Mormon institution. Are you aware of the conflict in the Christian community and manipulation of the word? What does it take to get to the truth and find lasting peace? Because I'm really tired of misinformation that keeps looking and uh, that keeps me looking and coming up empty. Uh, can you help me? Uh, Dallas, uh, the answers are not going to be found in religion of any sort any man or woman's claims at this institution is going to give it to you. Come to us and we'll free your soul. It's going to come from one place and that's Christ Jesus. He came. God so loved us, he sent his son. He came, he lived the life we live perfectly by the law. He gave his life for us. He died, he shed his blood, he resurrected on the third day. And Dallas, going directly and putting your, all your faith and everything on Jesus Christ, and then opening the word yourself, and then considering everybody's opinions about stuff. You can consider mine, you can consider your pastor or pastors, things like that, but it's not gonna be found in an institution. 
Every institution wants you to believe you've discovered it when you walk in their doors, but you're gonna be disappointed with all of them. Go to God directly, pour your heart out in the name of Christ Jesus and say, Lord, take over my life. Give me your light. Let me know of your presence in Jesus' name and wait on him and he'll do it. He'll do it, Dallas. Uh, all right, let's go to Mark in Alberta, Canada for a, a quick call and then over to the other Mark. Mark in Alberta, Canada, what's up? Hey, uh, first of all, you can tell Mark in Ireland that he feels the, the Irish should feel quite relaxed in the green diving pool they had there in the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell him that, thanks. Anyhow, yeah, <laughs> get there far away. Um, I would like to ask, when you get to uh, doing Rev uh, Revelation, can you do a comparison uh, somehow with, uh, with traditional Christ is coming again? and the 70 A.D. Uh, yeah. I know Matt Flick is a partial preterist, he said there on your show. Yeah. You know, we're... He's partial. Uh, we're, we're yeah, we're debating on whether to go uh, the full preterist view of Revelation in the way we teach it. This is coming up in our milk meetings for those of you who don't tune in to our milk and meat stuff. Uh, but I'm not sure yet because if I do a side-by-side uh, -side comparison with a dispensationalist view, and the full preterist view and, the, and, and all that stuff, it could take us five years. I mean, so I kind of want to get through that book as quick as possible. So uh, all the other ones <laughs> okay. I want to linger, well, that one I want to go through quick. Well, okay, I, I thought maybe, uh, or maybe I'll get some crib notes from you somewhere. But um, uh, also, uh, you know, when you talk about the spirit, to the spirit rather than, you know, Strictly the Word of God. Uh, I was at, and I'll say this briefly. There was a, a church on Sunday with a kind of like a traveling minister come, and and he had made something like this. Hit me like a ton of bricks. He uh, used to run a four square, or whatever, a horse ranch, that stuff, and then brought you know had kids come and they taught the gospel and the whole bit. I think it was in Sutton, Saskatchewan, or something. Anyhow. Um, he said this little 10-year-old girl, he had said uh, his horse is a mare, and, uh, and uh, forgive me, I don't know much about horses, but anyhow, he said, did you ever watch, um, she said, does the horse have, a, have any babies? And he said, yes, but it's a half a stallion. And uh, he said, you ever watch um, the black stallion? And, uh, and she said, yes. And then he said, well, this horse, this horse had a half a stallion. And she says, I don't believe you. And of course, later on through the week, and she's growing in the Lord and with the horses and all that. She did, but the Spirit came to him and said, that's the same way that I feel when you don't believe me. And I thought, that just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, I mean, just like this. And that's how, when we doubt things, and, and most of the stuff that we learn is through the Holy Spirit. We just try to hum and haw and, and push things aside or say it's for Satan or whatever. But really, we have to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. Amen. So that we, we know better. You yeah. know, that we, we have a relationship with the Lord. And that's what the Bible's about. It's not, you know, every dot your T's and cross, or cross your T's and dot your I's, right? Amen, my brother. So, anyhow, 
I'll let you go. All right, we're going to go to the other mark. Okay. Thanks for calling in, Canada. All right, let's go to Ireland. Bye-bye. All right, thanks so much. Bye. What the crank? What's the uh, crank, lads? I'm not impressed. What's the crank, lads? Did you just cut me off? You did not cut me off. No, I said what? You see, if Mark and Alberta, Canada has spent less time talking to me, you know, oppressing me as he was effectively British, and you know, the Irish have been oppressed by the British for hundreds and hundreds of years, he would have been much quicker on his call, and I'd have more time to talk. You would. (laughs) But one question before you go on, Mark, one question. Oh, what? How's the how's the medal count for Ireland? That's the question we have over here. How's the medal count? Yeah, no, you see, I heard that. Yeah, no, I heard that little question there. And when you when you said it on camera, you had this big smile on your face, like, oh, it's not me asking, it's them. But you're supposed to be a fellow Celt. You're supposed to what 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 did he say in American? You're supposed to have my back. Isn't that what they say over there? <laughs> do you have my back? No, no, you you you, you do that. That American thing where you laugh and you point and you, you know, ha, 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 Irish, well, well. You still haven't answered the question, though. No pot of gold for them, two silvers. No pot of gold! No pot of gold for you guys, only two silvers! Listen, they want to put me up for adoption. Can you believe it? Right. And it's all because of James 1-5. So while you're looking up James 1.5, okay, have you got your scriptures there? I got them. If any man I, should ask of God, I know what James 1.5 says. Do you know, do, can you read it out to the, the people that are in chat and everything else? All right. James 1.5 says something to the effect that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. That's what James 1.5 says. That's what... That's the favorite scripture that the missionaries like to trot out. Yeah. And they like to conflate the word wisdom with an Uh, an answer to a question. Ah. So they like to suggest that... They like to suggest that if you go to God and you say, Hey God, is that their church true? And God says, How are they? And you say, oh, thanks very much, God. That's how simple it is. Now, I had quite a, a robust discussion, shall we say, during the week with some members of the church, and they, they, they're not happy with me. They want to put me up for adoption. They want me out. They want me gone. Because they, they were asking about all your testimony, and did you ask God if the church is true, and da, 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 da. And I said, I don't think that's how God works. And then... In my head, I said to myself, I want to ask McCraney about this. So, McCraney, my thing is, I think that that view, and I said this word, I said it's an infantilized version of what God really is. God isn't going to say, yeah, join that church, it's full of truth. In fact, it has all the truth and you'll be grand. I don't think that's what God, that's what that passage means. And I'd love to know what your interpretation of it is. I would agree with you completely. No, you're not supposed, no, you're supposed to say things. You've got another minute left. Come on. No, I really, I do agree with you completely. I don't think that, that's I how mean, God... I, am I right? You are right. I'll say it. You're right. I, 
You're I right. Got, I got the right. You got the gold. No, because last week, cause, no, cause, let me tell you why. Because last week you were going on about, oh, some people, you know, are, are kind of predetermined to have maybe um, mental illness problems, and some people are predetermined to have this, that, and the other. Predetermined to be Irish. I'm one of them people. No, that's not what I was going to say. You behave yourself. I'm coming over there. I'm telling you, you're in trouble when I come over there. What I was trying to say was, I see the way you have James 1-5 and you can just go, oh, this is what I said. I can't do that. I've read it probably about a hundred times and I can't do that. Yeah. I can't do that with any scripture. I can tell the fool who at the start of the show here said, in chat, you, you don't know, the same clown came on and said, the earth is flat. Now I can explain to him in scientific terms where the Earth can't be flat, okay? okay? Because of gravity and because of pressure, and because the Earth is over 200 kilometers wide. It's why all planets are circular, because of pressure and because it's gravity, and you can measure it, so it's quantifiable, it has to be circular. Okay. I can explain that to him, but I can't say to you, oh, it's only what's that other one that they all talk about, John? John 3 something where, where they all say, you know the one, the king, dead, Brother Mike. You know Mike. the one where the, 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 the God of the world one. Brother Mike. You do know I do. I really appreciate your insights, but unfortunately, the mark from Canada did take up much of your time and we are out of time. Of course he did. Yes. Well, listen, I'm coming over there in the Ukraine and you're in trouble for all these little anti-Irish jobs, for all the oppression that I've suffered down through the years for cutting me off, for so, the little comments when you don't take my calls, for not taking my calls when I call you, for not answering my emails. I'm coming over there and you're in trouble. It's all done in love, my brother. All done in love. Take care of yourself. See God you bless. Bye-bye. Okay, well, our calls tonight were uh, unique, but uh, in any case, uh, let's get back next week and talk more about creation and wrap up that segment, and we'll continue on here on Heart of the Matter. See you next week. I'm on a ride, going nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the wind. And I won't be coming out, I'm going in. This man's awake, a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the light filled monkeys start